as we get ready to open up your word. Let your word be a blessing. Let your word find its place in our heart and our mind. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Pastor Trent. Amen. Good to see you guys this morning. Hope everybody's doing well. Um, last week we started a series called Sequence, and basically the the premise of this series is that we want to see Jesus, and we're looking for Jesus throughout the uh, whole of Scripture, and not just the New Testament. That we want to see Jesus. Uh, on proverbially on every page now obviously you can go look at every page and you won't see jesus name on every page but uh my hope is that we see the fingerprints and evidence of uh messiah as uh, old testament scriptures hebrew scriptures point ahead point to this messiah that's coming and so we looked at that last week and uh, we looked at several passages in, 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 in of Scripture. Really, we looked at just one passage. Today, we're going to look at several passages. And um, we, st- we started with this idea, we need the whole Bible to make whole Christians. Um, if you remember, we, 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 we talked about that idea of we need the whole Bible because we want to be whole Christians. We want to be people who are wholly devoted to the life of Jesus. And, and we believe that the Old Testament is uh, that which speaks to Jesus' prophesied coming, uh, that Jesus is the Messiah uh, found in Old Testament and Hebrew Scriptures. And so um, today we're going to continue on in this. Now, have you ever owed somebody something? Most of us, yes, right? Do you have any kind of payment? All right? You know, uh, there's some of you that may not. Man, God bless you. We're all, we're all wanting to be you at some point, right? Uh, but most of us, we have some kind of payment, whether it's car payment, house payment. You know, there, there's some type of payment maybe that we have. And so if you've ever owed somebody something, um, you know what that feels like to really kind of have, you know, that, that debt. And sometimes debt, can, can we can owe a lot of people a lot of things. Um, and that debt can really be a weight that hangs around your neck, and, and some of us, we know what that's like. Uh, we've really kind of had that visceral uh, feel of just having debt load us down. And um, maybe you've owed somebody something, and they took every chance they could just to let you know that you owed them that, right? Anybody, you ever loan money to a brother or sister? You know, Right? Maybe, you know, and so they took every chance just to let you know, hey, you remember that um, that $5 I lent you last week? Just want to let you know, it, I still lent that to you, right? You remember, you remember when, I, when I gave you that, whatever it was that I gave you? And they just take every, every uh, opportunity just to let you know, I know that I loaned that to you and you owe me that back, right? Um, and so sometimes they, they remind you that and it just becomes... Okay, I get it, right? Uh, and it's, it's that load of debt, knowing that you owe someone something. How many of you uh, know the good feeling, though, of when you pay something off? Come on, somebody. Yeah. You remember when you wrote, wrote that last check? 
I remember when I paid off my student loan to college. I remember that day. I wrote that check, and I was just like, oh, Lord, come on, somebody. You know, and I was like, I am free at last, right? I am done with this. Uh, that, that, that load of debt is gone. And so I remember that. That's a great feeling, right? And, and we, we love that feeling. Um, and today is kind of that, um, has that same type of kind of aim is for us to know that there's a load of debt and what God wants to bring into our life is freedom and what that looks like and how that plays out in the life of Jesus. Um, so, like I said last week, we started with this premise of, and I think, I think that's, I, I gave you that, we need the whole Bible to make whole Christians, that statement. We need the whole Bible to make whole Christians. Um, and I told you that the Hebrew Scriptures, which is what we call the Old Testament, is, um, is really kind of broken up into three separate divisions, um, and it, it's called the Tanakh. Um, and the first part of that, those first five books, the Pentateuch, uh, specifically, uh, is what's called the Torah, all right? Now, sometimes Torah, the Torah gets used for, uh, the Hebrew scriptures as a whole, uh, but being specific about it, it is the first five books, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those first five books of Moses, um, is called the Pentateuch, and, and it is the law, um, but really, I think a better word for it is instruction. It's instruction. This is instruction uh, from God to God's people, all right? Uh, and and, and any time that you're trying to teach somebody something, what do you got to do? You got to give them instruction, right? Now, I know sometimes on Christmas, uh, Christmas uh, Eve, if you're putting together uh, stuff like I do, any dads in here, you don't want to read the instructions. Anybody? You ever been there? Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> instructions? Man, that's for losers. And then about two hours later, I'm like, I am the loser because I should have read the instructions. And this thing is backwards, and I have to take it apart and redo it, right? And I'm really thinking, I should have read the instructions. So God, knowing that we are people that are in need of instruction, and so God uh, gives us instruction. He gives that through uh, Torah, and he gave that to his people, um, the people of Israel. Uh, but you also have two other divisions in the Hebrew Scriptures. You have what's called the Nevaim, uh, and maybe I got that right. The Nevaim, I, I was told last week there are three syllables in it. Uh, and what the Nevaim is, is it's the prophets. Um, it's uh, uh, prophets of Ezekiel, Jeremiah, um, even the minor prophets of uh, from Hosea all the way through Malachi. Um, and so you see... Uh, these these uh, prophets have this this experiences and these writings that they put down, and so this is what the Nevaim is, and then you have the Ketuvim, uh, which is the writings. It is uh, like Psalms, uh, wisdom literature. Um, uh, this uh, Daniel. Um, these these are the right chronicles, and uh, and if you can remember last week, um, told you that uh, Chronicles actually is the last book of the Hebrew Scriptures originally, all right? And so if you're reading in your Bible today, if you're reading in a Protestant version, um, it's ordered differently. Uh, it's not that the books are different, but it's ordered differently. And so in the Protestant um, Protestant Bible, we it, the Old Testament ends with Malachi, but in the original Hebrew Scriptures, uh, it ends in Chronicles. And 
I, I may talk a little bit about why that is next week uh, when, when we go to uh, how we find Jesus in the writings. But this week, I, I want us to look, and how do we find Jesus, or where do we find Jesus in the prophets, in the Nevi'im? Um, where do we find Jesus um, referencing the prophets? And I want us to go to um, a place in Luke. We were in Luke last week. We're going to be in Luke again this week. Um, Luke chapter 4 is where we're going to start. Now, Jesus and the prophets, you're going to find Jesus in, in different ways in, in the different prophetic writings. Uh, you can go to the book of Jonah. And how do you find Jesus in the book of Jonah? Jesus is the one that runs toward those who are under judgment. Um, you can find Jesus in the book of Hosea. And how, how do you find Jesus in the book of Hosea? Jesus is the faithful bridegroom. He is the faithful one. Even when we are unfaithful, Jesus is the faithful bridegroom. You can find Jesus in Jeremiah. Uh, how do you find Jesus in Jeremiah? Or Jeremiah talks about uh, God is going to make a new covenant. He's going to write on our hearts, not on a tablet of stone, but he's going to write his law on our hearts in, in flesh. And Jesus is the new covenant. This is why we did this this morning, this new covenant uh, spoken about in, in Jeremiah. Jesus is the new covenant with a new heart. He gives us a new heart when we have this relationship with him. You can find Jesus in Ezekiel. How do you find Jesus in Ezekiel? Ezekiel talks about this temple, this idea of this temple, and he gives this depiction of this temple in uh, the latter parts of Ezekiel. And there's this water flowing from the temple. There's this, this river, this stream, this water trickling from the temple. And as that water flows out from the temple, it begins to water the land. And everywhere that the river flows, there is life. And you see Jesus as being that river. Jesus is the river flowing with life. And he references that uh, of himself in John. I think it's John chapter 7 where Jesus says, I am living water. And so we see these connections uh, with, with Jesus. And, and one connection that I want us to look at is how Jesus makes a connection to the book of Isaiah with the prophet uh, Isaiah. And let's go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, and this passage that we're going to read starts in verse 16. And this is on the heels of the temptation of, of Jesus, right? Um, so if you go read the passages before this, you're going to see that story of Jesus being driven or led into the wilderness, and he's tempted by uh, Satan. He's tempted and tested by Satan uh, during a period of time, and uh, you see this, this trial, and he comes out of that testing, and he's refreshed through the Holy Spirit. Um, and then we pick up here where, where Jesus really kind of starts his ministry in uh, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, uh, where he had been brought up. Nazareth is what? Nazareth is his hometown, right? Uh, so he goes back home. He's in his hometown. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom. All right? Why does it say that? Because Jesus is what? Jesus, he's American, right? No, he's not American. Uh you know, if I just blew your mind there, I'm sorry. Jesus was not American. He, he wasn't German. He, he wasn't any number of nationalities. Jesus is Jewish. 
uh, and that's why it says it's playing in on it's saying hey listen I want you to pick up Jesus is from Nazareth that's his hometown and he has a custom because his custom is that of the Jews so he lives this out this Jewish lifestyle um, he's not some kind of rebel who says you know what I just throw it off all the Jewish customs no he's living out his customs he's living out uh, his life as as a, as a good Jewish man and as was his custom he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Now, they had a certain way that they would, um, they would proceed. There was like an order of service uh, in the synagogue where they would come, and they would have prayers. They would, uh, they would um, uh, say the Shema. Uh, they would pray. They would, they would sing a hymn. Uh, then they would have a Torah reading. So we just talked about how you have the Torah, and then you have the prophets, and then you have the writings, those three in, in, in divisions. Well, they would start off the synagogue uh, meeting, and they would read a Torah portion. They would read from the first five books, the Pentateuch. But then after that, they would read from the prophets. And so this is what you're picking up on. Jesus has, has gone to synagogue, and they've already gone through uh, a certain order here. And so he's at the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stands up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll. So they didn't have books. They had all these scrolls. Uh, so uh, the entire... Um, Entirety of Isaiah would have been on one scroll and did this really long scroll. And so they would have handed it to him and he would have found the place that he was going to read uh, on this scroll. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Verse 19 or verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. I want to stop right there. Now, we talk about Jesus being the Messiah, and Jesus the Messiah is not just this catchy thing that we put on the end. It's not like Ryan the pastor, right? Uh, Jesus the Messiah is, 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 is much better than Ryan the pastor, I promise you. Uh, this, this idea of Messiah, it comes from this word anointed. It's this idea that they would uh, take a king, and when they would uh, set forth a new king, they would uh, anoint the king, And so what they would do when a new king was coming, they would pour oil on his head. And this was an anointing stating, hey, this is the new king. This is a new kingdom. And many times during a new kingship, what the king would do, and not just uh, in, in this culture, but, but uh, many cultures in the ancient Near East, when there was a new king, the king would want to win the hearts of the people. And so what the king would do after he was anointed king is that he would come in and he would say, listen, if you had any debts, I'm releasing you from your debts. And he would say, uh, if you're a prisoner, we're setting you free, right? And so there was, uh, you, you kind of have this, uh, this idea that the king is wanting to win the hearts of the people, right? And so Jesus, he begins reading this passage here. And it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has messiahed me. He has anointed me. To proclaim good news. Anybody like good news? Good news. If I showed up to you today and said, good news, here's your publisher's clearinghouse check of $10 million. 
How many of y'all would say, oh, that's good news, Pastor? I'd love for you to deliver that check to me. Not just the big cardboard one, but the really one that I can cash. That would be great, Pastor, if you would do that. I think that would be great, too, because I'd love for you to pay some tithe off of that $10 million, right? And it, it goes on. He says, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Come on now. And now, if you're, if you're captive, if you're a prisoner, and somebody says, hey, you know what? You're getting out of jail. I don't think anybody's saying, you know what, I think I just want to stay a few more days. I'm, you know, right? I'm ready to go. I'm ready to get out. And so he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I love that. And he rolled the scroll up, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, because they would have a message. After they would read this Torah portion, they would read this, uh, this prophet portion, um, they would have basically a message, almost like a sermon. And that's what Jesus does. He hands back the scroll, and he sits down, and, and, and they would sit down. And, and they had this, this seat in the synagogue. It was called the Seat of Moses. And they would sit down, and they would give the sermon for that day. And Jesus sits down, and this is how he begins. He says, and he began to say to them, today... This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And he created quite an uproar, quite a stir, as you can read in the following, uh, following passage, that uh, there were some that actually, they didn't like this. They thought Jesus had kind of overstepped, and uh, they wanted to kill him after this, right? The sermon that almost got Jesus killed. Uh, that's it right there. And that's... And, and so Jesus, he, he makes a statement. He says, hey, this is fulfilled in your hearing. The words that you are hearing right now, the words that you are hearing today, he's saying, this is fulfilled for you. This is fulfilled. I am here to fulfill this for you. And it's like everybody just kind of stepped back. And why is this a big deal? This is a big deal because this passage that uh, he read is from Isaiah chapter 61. And I want you to go there with me. Isaiah chapter 61 and I want us to go read this in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61. And this is what Isaiah 61 says. It says, and the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has, what is it? There it is again. The Lord has what? Anointed me. And there's debate. Um, that scholars have said, who is this anointed me? Who is this one talking? Is this Isaiah? And, and most say, no, this can't be Isaiah because what he's talking about is much bigger than Isaiah. It's much bigger than one man. It's much bigger. This is the language of Messiah. This is the language of one who has a great and mighty task that just some mere person is not able to accomplish. And so this, who is this me? Um, this me is Messiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has Messiahed me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison door to those who are bound, to proclaim the, the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God and to all who mourn, to comfort all who mourn. Now, now if you're reading this with me, if you look back, um, just keep your finger right there and, and, and go back and look at that Luke chapter 4 passage. Is it exactly the same? It's not exactly the same. Jesus actually 
takes the liberty of changing a few things, and he adds a, a little phrase in there from Isaiah 58. And if you go to Isaiah 58, just a couple pages back from Isaiah 61, um, there's this passage that he inserts there. And he talks about uh, this idea of recovering the sight of the blind. He talks about this idea of, um, of, of the poor uh, being released. And so he puts this, this part in there, this recovering of the sight of the blind. And he's making a statement. And then he doesn't end. When he ends his portion, how does he end it? He doesn't say to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, does he? He leaves that day of vengeance out. He drops that part. So what's he doing? He's honing in on grace. He's saying today is about God's grace. Today is about God's favor. And, and he is making a statement to people saying, listen, I want to tell you what God's kingdom, which is breaking in and in, in, in right here with me being here with you uh, as, as Jesus, with me being here, God's kingdom is breaking into this world. And he's making a statement about what that kingdom's about. He's saying, because I'm here, this is my mission. This is my message. This is my focus. This is what I am here to do. I am to set people free. I am to cause the people who are blind to have sight. And you can, you can see that all throughout the Old Testament. There are places where uh, people have talked about you are blind. You don't see what's going on. And not just being physically blind, but being spiritually blind. They, they, don't, they don't see what's happening. And if you look at this passage and the passage in, in, in Isaiah 58, what is it talking about? It's talking about this idea of jubilee. It's talking about that there are uh, this idea of rest. Um, and maybe you've heard that, that term jubilee, right? Maybe what is jubilee? Well, real quick, I want to give you what this means. And I told you last week that there's a lot of patterns and, and there's a lot of cycles that we find in the Old Testament. Um, there is a cycle every seven days there's a period of rest, right? We saw that from the outset of creation, that in seven days you will work six days, and on the seventh day you will rest. Well, if you go to Leviticus, that place that many of you guys are reading right now that you don't want to be reading because it's so super boring, um, in Leviticus there's instruction that, um, that there is not only a seventh day rest, but there is a seventh year rest for the land. That, that you will work the land for six years, and on that seventh year, you know what? You don't work it. You don't plant. Um, you, you, you don't work the land. You let it lay and let it rest. And so what God says, that if you do this, if you live by this prescription, I will bless you so much in that sixth year that you won't need to work for the seventh year, and you will live off of the proceeds of that sixth year for two years. And so... So you see this cycle of seven days rest. You see this seven years rest. But they even had this. After seven series of seven years, seven times seven, after 49 years, after you've done this 49 times, on that 50th year, that was the year of Jubilee. And on the year of Jubilee, uh, which was, is, is what Isaiah 61 is about, the, the idea of Jubilee was this, on the 50th year, this seven cycles of seven, that I'm going to bless you so much in that sixth year that you're not going to work the land for two years. You're going to have that seventh year on the 49th year. You're not going to work it. 
And then on the 50th year, not, you're not going to work it either. So on that 48th year, I'm going to bless you so much, you're going to live off of those proceeds for three years. And God says, if you will live by this. And that year of Jubilee is important because on that year of Jubilee, if you go read in Leviticus, there's this prescription that if someone became poor because they had to sell their land, because people, um, there was slavery in the Old Testament. People say, I don't know why God allows slavery. Well, people, when they would become poor, the only way that they could provide for their family sometimes was to take the land that they had and sell it. And sometimes they had to sell themselves into slavery to provide for their family. And so it was a choice that they were making saying, listen, I am going to give you my land. I'm going to give you myself. But on that year of Jubilee, what God says was this. He says, all the land goes back to the people. If somebody sold their property because they were too poor, he says, on that 50th year, it goes back to them. And if they had sold themselves into slavery, you know what? On that 50th year, they're released from that. They're released from that bond. And so basically, year of Jubilee is a big reset button. We're going to reset it. And so what Jesus is saying, he's saying this. He's saying, hey, I am stepping in. I am here today because I am hitting the reset button on God's plan. And it's not just about a physical slavery. Yes, there, there is, there, God wants to release you. He doesn't want you to be in slavery physically. But there's many of you that are not in slavery physically, but you're in slavery spiritually. And you're spiritually blind, and you're heavy laden, and you're weary, and you're just loaded down with all this stuff. Anybody ever felt weary and loaded down with something? And what Jesus is saying is this. He says, listen, I am here that you can release that bond. I am here that you can step into freedom. I am here that you can step into liberty i am here so that we can hit the reset button and go back to where jesus is saying i'm gonna make it okay i am gonna make it all right so when we see this happening through scripture and 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 really this is it guys um and i'm gonna i'm gonna wrap up here real quick and somebody can come play there's no real evidence that israel observed these seven-year rests if you go read the scholars, and even Jewish scholars, they said there's, there's not, a, not a lot of evidence that this was observed the way it should have been. And I was reading this morning on, on, on um, and it wasn't even a Christian website, it's a Jewish website where uh, they're talking about in 2 Chronicles 36, 21. This is what 2 Chronicles 36, 21 says. And it says, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. For 70 years, Israel went into exile. Why did they go into exile? And the reason was this, is because they didn't observe God's commandments. God says, this is the economy that I want. Not just a physical economy. He's like, this is how I want you to treat people. But they weren't treating each other like God had prescribed. And he says, listen, if you're not going to do it my way, this is, you're going to have to I'm going to take my land back. Because God's basically saying this. He's like, the land doesn't belong to you anyways. It's my land. Remember we went through the whole stewardship series in, in January? And that's what God's saying. He's like, the land's not even yours anyways. It's mine. And he says, this is my prescription for this. And so for 490 years, they did not observe the seven-year rest. And God got his years back. And so we see this, that there was an exile but when Jesus steps in, Jesus steps in, and it's, it's amazing. You see all these sevens. How long was it between Isaiah and Jesus' birth? 700 years. 
You see all these, it's all these cycles of seven. In 700 years, Jesus steps on the scene and says, listen, there's a reset button. And, and God wants to hit that reset button. And he wants to take you out of slavery. He wants to take you out of the weight that you've been carrying. He wants to take you out of this, this stuff that you carry around, this pain that you carry around. He wants to take that from you. And Jesus said, that's why I'm here. I'm here to set captives free. I'm here for the, so that the blind can recover their sight. I'm here so that you can have life and not just have this perpetualness of slavery that you're just, whether it's physical or whether it's spiritual, that you keep dragging this stuff around behind you every day. And every day you just keep dragging this weight. And every day you just keep dragging this, this baggage. And every, every day you just keep dragging this stuff around. Jesus says, I'm here so that you can find release. I'm here so that you can find liberty. So you can spend your whole life searching for rest. Many of us do. We can't wait. We can't wait to retirement. We can't wait to retirement. And sometimes retirement comes and you still don't find rest. Because true rest is not found in retirement. It's not found in anything in this world. It's actually found in Jesus. You can spend your whole life searching for rest, but Jesus is the rest that you need. Jesus is the rest that came looking for you. Jesus came, he says, this is fulfilled in your hearing. And Jesus, he uses this passage. And I think I gave you, there's a Matthew passage. Did I, did I give you that, that passage in Matthew? This is what he says. I love this. He says, come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden. All you who are weary. That laden word it means weary. Anybody ever been tired? I'm not just talking about physically tired. I'm talking about you just, you're just tired tired of carrying around the same stuff you're tired of carrying around the same worries you're tired of carrying around the same weights you've dragged this stuff maybe from relationship to relationship you've dragged it from the past and and all this stuff has just become a weight to you and you're saying god i'm tired i'm so tired there are people today who look and they just say i'm just so tired i just want to take some pills and go to sleep and never wake up again and Jesus says, I don't want that for you because I am here that you might be, might, might, that I can be the life in you. That you can be released from that weariness. That you can be released from this weight of dragging this stuff around. And Jesus saying, I'm here to set the reset button for you. To hit the reset button to give you life. So this morning, I want you to stand with me. Who in here you just say, man, I'd like to find that rest. Who in here you'd say, man, there's some stuff that I have dragged around. There's some weariness and some pains and some issues I have dragged around. I've dragged it around for the last few weeks. I've dragged it around for months, maybe years. You have dragged stuff around. And this morning, Jesus wants to meet you here today. And he wants to declare jubilee in your life. He wants to declare a release and a freedom and liberty in you this morning. And that's for you. You can have that. He said you could. And the enemy says, no, you're never going to be free. You're never going to be released. The enemy's a liar. Jesus speaks truth, and Jesus speaks liberty, and he speaks freedom. So with heads bowed this morning. Father, we just come. There's things that we carry. There are things that weigh us down, that weigh on our mind. And there are questions we feel we'll never find the answer to. 
And there are pains that we just look at, and it seems to be the same thing over, and it's just a cycle of the same stuff over and over and over and over. And perpetually we stay in bondage, and perpetually we stay enslaved to attitudes and mindsets. But this morning you want to release someone today. This morning you want to set someone free today. And so, Lord, that's my prayer is, Lord, that we would take you at your word, that you are the Messiah from Isaiah 61, to step into our life, to step up to us and say there's release for us and there's freedom for us today. Lord, we receive that. We receive that freedom. We receive that release today. We receive your liberty this morning where the Spirit of the Lord is. There is liberty. There is freedom. And we feel that. And we want to feel that today. So we give you our cares. We give you these things that we've dragged around, these weights that have held us down. And we put them in your arms. We put them in your hands because we can't carry them anymore. We don't have to. We trust you, Lord Jesus. We trust you with these weights and these, these things. And we ask, Lord, for freedom this morning in Jesus' name. Can we sing this together?